All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, and I get to be the host today, and I want to welcome you to our program. For those of you that are listening out in California and Iowa, in downtown Detroit, and locally right here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is Veterans Radio, and we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting topics today, I hope that you will find them enjoyable. And I, my background, I guess, is to give my credibility portion of it is I was a CW2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam in 1969. Veterans Radio has been broadcasting across the country and now across the world since 2003. And we are very proud of that message that we're getting out there. Over 900 hours of programming. And I don't know how many podcasts, but it's been a busy, busy time there. So we are going to be talking about a local event that is coming up this uh, next month. And it's going to be a hockey tournament, it looks like, to uh, support veterans and veterans in the local uh, southeast Michigan area. And then I've got a young lady on the program later on who's going to be talking about pancakes and so it's kind of cool, I think. And, she, you know, we say pancakes, but it's not really just pancakes. Uh, she's got a book out there that talks about pancakes for Roger. And it's a, it's an inspirational book. And I think that you'll find it very interesting. It, uh, also any proceeds from the book are, are supporting veterans in, uh, Missouri. So we're kind of spread out across the country today. We were supposed to have a woman on today to talk about resumes for transitioning from, uh, military to civilian life, but due to technical issues, uh, we weren't able to connect today. So we'll hopefully we'll have her on, uh, sometime in the near future, but it's, it's, uh, kind of an interesting website. So I will give her a plug though. It's resumebuilder.com and uh, resumebuilder.com slash veterans. And if you go to that, it's got all kinds of sample resumes, cover letters and everything else that I think would be beneficial for all of you. So take off and do that when you get a chance. I would be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsors right away at the top of the program. So we'll get into that. And number one is Legal Help for Veterans and Legal Help for Veterans that specializes in veterans disability claims. You can give them a call at 800-693-4800 or you can call Legal Help for Veterans. I don't know where did call them <laughs> or you can go to their website. That's legalhelpforveterans.com. Their number again is 800-693-4800. The National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses. For more information, you can go to their website, that's nvbdc.org, or give them a call at 888-CERTIFIED. That's 888-237-8433. And the Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center right here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, for more information, you can go to va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. You can learn more about these organizations and the services that they provide by going to veteransradio.net slash our sponsors. Hey, wouldn't it be great if you became a sponsor? I think that'd be terrific. So uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So got that out of the way. We got to pay the bills every once in a while. And joining me right now is... Uh, Oh, we got somebody else wanting to join us right now. Okay. We'll bring her in. Hold on, folks. This technology stuff is grand. 
So joining me on the, on the program right now is Eric Fretz, Dr. Eric Fretz. He's a guest host here. He's on the board of directors of Veterans Radio, and he has helped us out in the future, and he's going to help us out today. So Eric is a graduate of the University of Michigan, a faculty lecturer there. He is uh, inv- heavily involved in the uh, student veterans at U of M and also with an organization called VCAT 9. So Eric, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dale. Happy to be here. It's great to see you again. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it is great. And uh, yeah, it's, we're uh, we're zooming on this right now, and and so we get to see Eric, who's in the same town I am, where it's about zero, and in, in front of his uh, river out there, which is kind of neat. It's an aspirational springtime background picture. <laughs> I know it's great. Okay. It's great. So um, I know you've you've done a couple of programs for us, Eric, and it's been greatly appreciated. Could you um, give me a little idea or tell our audience a little bit about your background as far as military service and so forth? Uh, sure. Yeah, I grew up around Washington, D.C. Uh, in a family that had almost no immediate uh, members uh, in any direction on the family tree with any family uh, history of military service. But uh, by the end of high school, I had decided I really wanted to go into the Navy. This was back in the 80s, and I pursued an ROTC scholarship Um wasn't given one initially, but came up here to University of Michigan as the school I wanted to go to and uh, was able to compete for and then get a discretionary uh, scholarship that was awarded to me. So I got a full ride basically um, after I arrived here in Michigan from the Navy. So did uh, four years of reserve officer training corps. And then after that was commissioned into the Navy, became a surface warfare officer and then did 20 years uh, full career, um, did about 10 years of that 20 active and 10 years in the reserves, um, was on uh, one major ship for uh, five years, 89 to 94. I was on the USS Chosin, CG-65, which at the time was the newest and most expensive ship in the fleet. And we went over for the tail end of Gulf War One, uh, which was quite interesting, did the classic Westpac deployment. Um, and then came back to our home port in Hawaii. After that, I went to Great Lakes Naval Training Center and ran some schoolhouses. It was at that point that I actually uh, made us what I thought was a small change. It turned out to be a big one. I, some of my men that worked for me were working on a part-time bachelor's degree, and they had great ideas of how to run the schoolhouse that I was in charge of. And I was so inspired by the great ideas that my uh, men were bringing to me that I said, you know, I've got to keep pace with these guys. I'm going to go register for the same program they're in, and I'm going to get a second bachelor's degree. Because prior to that, I would never have thought to go back to school for any reason. I was not a very good student at Michigan and didn't find it very exciting. Loved, loved the school, loved the team, you know, loved Ann Arbor, but well, didn't wasn't somebody who really got the most out of his college experience. And so the second time through was a real eye-opener. I really had a wonderful time, and uh, then that led into a master's degree, and then another master's degree, and uh, then a dual PhD in psychology and education. And I was pursuing that graduate school in the second half of my Navy career when I was a reservist. So basically I was a reservist and a computer consultant and helped run some of my wife's medical clinics and, um, and then was working in the grad school and being occasionally mobilized too. So that was the second half of the Navy career was, was very much mixed up with, you know, raising, having kids, raising kids, uh, building some businesses, getting deployed a couple of times. Uh, I juggled them all as best I could. But for those of you who know about grad school, uh, it took me 10 years to finish my uh, my dual PhD. So that's a little bit too long. But okay. uh, yeah, And your dual PhDs are in what? Uh, psychology and education. Okay. All right. And shortly after graduation, I got uh, asked to teach a class um, at Michigan, um, which is unusual. You don't generally work where you get your PhD. 
And I had continued all those years being a student. Um, I had been involved with the Student Veterans Association and helped build them up to, you know, very large and robust, one of the biggest ones in the country prior to COVID. Um, and they're still doing well now. Um, they just, as a matter of fact, just had their benefit dinner. Uh, give a shout out to to Graham, the president of the SVA, and the other helpers uh, like Kate Melcher and um, Joe, who the previous president who helped out. We, we were able to raise $25,000 at the fundraiser and uh, fund uh, the training of a new service dog for a service member. So the SVA Michigan's doing great work. Um, great. Yeah. And then, um, and then I've gotten involved in just a ton of other um, veteran charities and uh, veteran assisting efforts. One of the things I found when I came back from my final deployment to Iraq which was a no notice deployment right before Christmas on like a 14 days notice. Um, and they put me with the army. So here I was a Navy guy stuck with the 18th airborne Corps in downtown Baghdad. It was an interesting year to say the least. Um, and, um, I came back from that and honestly, I was, I struggled a bit. And, um, I, one of the things that helped me kind of get back into a better place was I noticed that the more I helped other people, the better I felt about, me. <laughs> and so I said, oh, I'm going to just do more of this. And so started with the Veterans County, the Washington County Veterans Treatment Court, and then got involved in VCAD, as you mentioned, and um, just um, over time have continued to sort of build that network. And I'm very, I'm very applied both in my teaching and in my volunteer work. I, I like to have my hands on the problem and do direct work, right? And actually go in and solve problems directly. So that's more my thing. So all of my teams are focused like that. You know, uh, you're, you're working through the kind of a combination through the business school right now. Um, well, yeah, there's a, I do, yeah, I, I, I teach the core course for the entrepreneurship minor, which is hosted out of the business school, but it's not actually run by Ross. Um, and I am not a Ross faculty member. I am a faculty member in engineering, um, education, applied liberal arts and psychology. So I'm, I'm unusual in that I teach in a bunch of different places. Um, but it also reflects kind of my weird backstory, which is a, a lot of experience and abilities in different areas. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's a great story. You know, more and more I find out you're kind of an interesting guy. I didn't know he had all these background, you know, this backstory of, of, of Eric Fretz is really kind of really, really, have, really interesting. <laughs> I have done a lot of odd and unusual things. Yes. It's, just, so yeah, it's, like, it's kind of cool. Military career, but then they get the degrees and then what's all this other stuff? Yeah. So. Now, now, now what do I do? I think I'll... I think I'll start this or I'll do, I'll do that. Right. Speaking of, so tell me about um, VCAT 9 and what that is, and, and then we'll talk about their upcoming fundraiser. Right, right. Uh, VCAT 9 is Veterans Community Action Team for Region 9, um, and that means that we are one of 10 VCATs that were originally set up. Um, and this was way back in about 2015. So Governor Snyder, then Governor Snyder, um, basically I think very presciently identified that Michigan had one of the top probably 10 or 20 veterans populations in the nation in terms of number of veterans, but we were like number 50 in terms of what we were actually collecting for veterans benefits um, to come into the state, meaning that of everything that every veteran was eligible for, what were they actually collecting in terms of benefits? Because veterans are, depending on the year and the nature of their service, and in some cases, nature of injuries, they're eligible for a whole host of, of different sort of payments and programs and, and financial and other supports. And so the VCATs were set up along the, there were 10 prosperity zones, which is just a, a geographic breakdown into roughly similar the demographic size chunks, right? So for example, the entire UP is one region, and then Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb, 
is one region. That's the small. So, so VCAT 10 is the smallest physical region of a VCAT, but those three counties have such dense population that they're more, more than the VCAT up in the UP. So anyway, VCAT 9 is, is uh, Washtenaw County and then uh, five counties that surround them, you know, Lenawee, Jackson, Monroe, Hillsdale, and all that. Um, and so they were formed back in 2015, and their main goal was to help everyone in those counties get connected to people who help them with anything that's wrong that they need help with and connect them to benefits. So the VCATs were the sort of the boots on the ground volunteers in each region. There was a regional coordinator, or now they call it a senior veterans engagement officer. That's a, a paid employee. It's the only person in the system that's paid. Myself and all my uh, other team members are volunteers. Um, and they, the region then uh, takes information from the state and the headquarters. The Michigan Veteran Affairs Agency is in, uh, is in Lansing. They send stuff out to the VCATs, and then we help get it out to the field. And then we also undertake our own localized efforts for whatever's needed. So in the UP, for example, a big problem is transportation. So they're very focused on transportation. Uh, down here, we have less of a problem with transportation, but last year we had a problem with food insecurity. So I got a grant from the Bob Woodward Foundation, which is a fantastic partner. And uh, we were able to take that money and use it to push food directly into programs that were serving and accessing veterans on a daily basis to help with food insecurity. So, so the VCATs in each area were designed to establish, if they weren't already existing, a collective of um, volunteer veterans and, and professional veteran serving organizations, help them coordinate. In lots of areas in the state, there was already a coalition that existed. So, for example, there's the Southwest Michigan Veteran Coalition. There's the Lansing Area Veterans Coalition. I think I'm, I think I pronounced this correctly. So, there's some areas. You know, there's one in the Bay Bay City area. So, there were some where um, a VCAT-like structure already existed, and so some of them have gone back to using their old name. Um, in our area, there wasn't a, a particularly large coalition, so um, VCAT nine has kind of stuck around and. Um, we're just kind of in the business of helping folks connect. So my big thing is to make sure that everybody knows about everybody else. So across all of our counties, if there's one person who's the, the expert on homelessness, make sure everybody knows who that is. If there's one person who's the expert on educational resources, let's have everybody know who that is. So everybody's Rolodex is as strong as everybody else's. And we can do what's called the no wrong door so that when a vet comes in, you don't have to say, oh, I can help you with this one problem, but I can't help you with the other thing, right? Like you, you have a broken leg, you know, and your car's on fire. Well, I can put the fire out, but I can't help you with your broken leg. And of course, that's nice. I mean, now the car's on a fire, but but he really would like help with his broken leg too, right? These are, of course, hypothetical examples. Usually it's something more like, you know, rent and food or something. But um, yeah. Yeah, so, so basically that no wrong door and that warm handoff where all of the veteran helping agents know each other well and know what they're looking for um, and are very comfortable working with each other so they can manage complex cases. Um, so that's really, that's the big picture for VCAT. And there's a, there's a fantastic group of volunteers that have stuck with me over the years. Um, you know, my um, co-chair, Jessica Van Cleve, who's a therapist who practices out of uh, the Grass Lake area. She's uh, been a fantastic partner over the years and uh, a number of others that, uh, too many to name, but if you want to find out more about VCAT 9, you can. Uh, we have a uh, Facebook page that's reasonably active, and that's on Facebook. So if you just search uh, Region 9 uh, VCAT when you're on Facebook or the, the actual thing, you're at fa- facebook.com slash R9VCAT um, is the actual URL that goes you know, to our homepage. We post stuff regularly there. Um, 
Yeah, and there's an associated 501c3 charity that runs underneath that uh, that I direct. It helps us uh, allocate funds for different things, and we do great partnerships. We're doing a wonderful partnership with Forward Design Build, which is a, a local company that came forward and said, hey, we really want to help some veterans. Uh, we've got some guys. Um, we've got some time and some resources to help veterans out. Find us some veterans that need some repair work done, and we're going to get in there and, and make it happen. And we're working a project right now for a gentleman named Bob who um, has some has some livability issues with his trailer and we're going to get in there and sort those out. I actually started doing that survey this week. So just it's a VCAT's kind of like a, a touch point, right. For people to come in and um, connect and, and and find ways to kind of get care and help into the community. I, I think that's awesome that, you, that you're, you're doing that, Eric. And, and uh, it sounds like VCAT right now is, is, is that all over the country or is it just in Michigan? That's very much a Michigan thing. We're very unusual when the VCATs rolled out. Um, we, for a while, were the only state. The, the, the Veterans Affairs Agency, they they would really like to have something like VCAT in every area of every state in the nation. Um, they call them CVEBs, Community Veteran um, Engagement Boards, I think something like that. And so every VCAT is a CVEB. Michigan was unique in that it has a CVEB covering 100% of its landmass. Um, not all of them are fully active, but they're, they are at least created and notionally exist. And there are regional coordinators in each one. So anyway, um, that's unique in that sense. Um, that The concept of having a VCAT and, and covering every area of the state is not done in any other state that I know of. It's only Michigan that does that. In most of the other states, it's the large metro, metropolitan areas with high population density where these coalitions start to form. Right. Well, with my next guest, I'm going to talk about what's going on in Missouri. So... Uh, I think that'll be really interesting. So tell me about what's coming up in March. And this is the Military Appreciation Weekend um, over at the Hockey Arena in Plymouth, Michigan. Yes, the USA Hockey Arena has been a fantastic partner to VCAT 9 for a number of years. Um, We have a wonderful uh, senior person there, Denise Ronane, who has been a fantastic partner, helped us set up uh, military appreciation events uh, for a number of years. Obviously, we had to kind of go dormant for a bit due to COVID, but now we're definitely back. Um, and instead of focusing on just one game, we're doing a whole weekend. So it will be on the March 18th and 19th, which is Saturday or Friday and Saturday. There will be 7 p.m. games. And then on the um, 20th, which is the Sunday, there'll be a 4 p.m. game. All of these will be Team USA, which is the home team for, for the USA Hockey Arena, against the team from uh, Cedar Rapids. Uh, they'll have custom jerseys, which will be auctioned off as a fundraiser when that's done. Um, and um, the whole event on all three nights is free to veterans, military, and their families. So you can um, go to Eventbrite, uh, and if you just search for uh, Region 9 VCAT on Eventbrite, you will find it. Sorry to do it that way, but it's uh, it's a very long URL that would be absolutely an abomination to try and read over and over again. So if you want to get free tickets, just go to Eventbrite and search for R9VCAT, and um, you'll find our events there. Um, and you can also look for us on the, look for information on the Facebook page as well. Um, and that will, if you come there, the game is free. There will also be um, some little giveaways. There'll be some raffles and other things. There'll be a bunch of tables for service providers providing uh, information on different things that the veterans can sign up for. And there will be a food voucher of some kind. So you, you will you will get a meal and a drink, um, as well as a wonderful evening of uh, hockey. So it's a really fantastic time to get the veterans out. And another one of those things that VCAT 9 really likes to do, because you can do these larger events that will bring thousands of veterans out to a single spot. 
where they can all be exposed to these service providers that all want to meet new veterans and make sure that there's high awareness for all of the services and things that they offer. So that's why these events are doubly great because you can have the vets come out and have a wonderful time and feel appreciated. And we can also get them in contact with all kinds of service providers that they might not otherwise bump into so they can get benefits and other things that they may not even be aware are available for them. That is very true. And we are planning on being there as well on that Sunday, uh, doing our program from the um, USA Hockey uh, from 5 to 6 p.m. on the 20th of March. And it should be kind of interesting. It's going to be a test of our equipment and a test of our microphones, especially if we get anywhere near the rink. Uh, So I'm excited to see that and also uh, introduce ourselves to, as you say, the people that, that will come to yes. this uh, program. So I'm excited. Yeah. And those, so those tickets will be available um, all the way for the next several weeks. Um, they will close at some point. Um, and also if anyone who's hearing this is interested in being a sponsor, we are looking for sponsors to help defray the costs. The USA hockey is incredibly generous, um, but they do rely on local businesses and others who want to be recognized as supporting this sort of event. So um, again, if you want to talk to Denise Renee there at the USA hockey um, that's a, I think that number is pretty easy to Google. And if I got it, I got it right here. Take your, take your right to her, and she'd be happy to talk to you about their sponsorship package. It's real simple; it's just one level, um, but it gets you some great exposure and uh, would be super helpful. So, if anyone's interested in that, please do give her a call. I think so. And uh, Denise's number is seven three four four five three six four zero zero extension three three three. We want to point out that's not for tickets. That's if you want to be a sponsor. That's, it, that's if you want to sponsor. <laughs> you tickets, come to my website. Sponsor. Yeah, you got to go there. Yeah, the, the, for the tickets again, one more time, you go to uh, Everbright. Eventbrite. Eventbrite.com. Eventbrite. And then search okay. for VCAT 9 or Region 9 VCAT and you'll see our stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have a lot of information up on our website on veteransradio.net and we'll have the links so you can get to the either buy a ticket or become a sponsor. Again, I just want to give Denise's phone number one more time. Uh, that's uh, 734-453-6400, extension 333. And I think that's that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we we have done some remotes in the past, but nowhere near a hockey arena. <laughs> They're very, very well run, very professional organization there. So I think you'll have a great time. And, and the events in the past have been fantastic. Obviously, we'll see what, what sort of numbers we get rebuilding out of COVID and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, historically, they've really been well attended and fun events. So. Okay. Well, Eric Pretz, thank you very much for being on our program today. I, uh, I greatly appreciate it. And I'm excited to find out more. And we will be promoting this event right up until um, the, the event. Thanks very much. Okay. Thank you, Eric. And we'll talk to you soon. All righty. Thanks. You have a great day. Take care. All right. We will be right back in just a moment. And we will be uh, welcoming our next guest, who is Susan Combs. And Susan has uh, some other great information to share with you about what's going on in the veteran community out there. So until then, (laughs) we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Susan will be joining us. You're listening to Veterans Radio. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. PFC Sammy Davis is often called the real Forrest Gump. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. 
They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Davis enlisted in the Army. He volunteered for the artillery because his father had been an artillery man in World War II and then asked to be sent to Vietnam. In November 1967, his unit was helicoptered into Firebase Cudgel. Shortly after midnight, Battery C came under a heavy mortar attack. At the same time, 1,500 Viet Cong launched an intensive ground assault. Davis's squad was operating a 105mm howitzer that fired 18,000 beehive darts in each shell. When he saw how close the VC were, he took over a machine gun and provided cover for his crew. Convinced they couldn't survive the attack, he rammed a shell into the gun and fired point-blank into the enemy. A mortar round exploded nearby, knocking Davis to the ground, but he got up and kept firing the howitzer. When he ran out of beehives, he fired a white phosphorus shell, and then the last round he had, a propaganda shell filled with leaflets. He heard yelling from the other side of the river, and despite the fact that he couldn't swim, paddled across on an air mattress. Other GIs followed him. He found three wounded soldiers, gave them morphine, and provided covering fire as another GI helped one of the wounded across the river. Davis pulled the other two through the water on the air mattress and resumed the fight. Just before dawn, Davis was wounded in the back and buttocks by friendly fire. President Johnson presented him the Medal of Honor on November 19, 1968. Footage of LBJ putting the medal around Davis's neck appeared in the movie Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks's head substituted for Davis's. Gump's fictional citation was loosely based on Davis's real one. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. Even small actions can make a world of difference. If you know a veteran in crisis, please call the Veterans Crisis Line, 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Hey, we are back here on Veterans Radio right now, and I'm really excited to uh, have our next guest on the program. And joining me on the air is Susan Combs, and Susan has written a book entitled Pancakes for Roger, and there's a couple of events that are tied in with that, and I'll just give you a quick background of what I've got on Susan. She is president of Combs & Company, a full-service insurance brokerage firm based in New York City. She started the company at 26 with the drive of Do More Better. Uh, this is kind of, I'm, I'm time tripping here because it says that she was national president of the Women in Insurance and Financial Services and was the first female broker of the year winner for Benefits Pro. And I spent 20 years selling insurance. And so I thought that was rather interesting <laughs> to read that. So Susan, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me about the pancakes for Roger. How did this whole thing get started? So uh, my my father was a major general in the Air Force. Um, he served our country for 39 years and four months. He always made sure to let you know there's the four months there, too, because, you know, he earned it. Um, he started out um, as a Marine Corps helicopter pilot, served in Vietnam, and, uh, and shifted around. He actually served in three three branches of our, our armed services. And um, my father passed away in 2018 uh, from Agent Orange-related throat cancer. 
And about 10 years prior um, to him passing away, he was diagnosed with cancer and had been treated. Um, and then the last year of his life, um, he relapsed a couple of times. And um, during that time, he had a feeding tube. And, uh, you know, those people that are listening that have dealt with people on feeding tubes know that, you know, you got a feeding tube, you got a feeding tube, and that's how you eat. And um, I, as you mentioned, I'm, I live in New York City. I have for the past 20 years, but I'm originally from a rural town in the northwest corner of Missouri called King City. That's about a thousand people. And it's literally six miles from the farm that my father was literally born on. Um, so all my roots come from Missouri. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to go back and um, live with my family um, and help care for him uh, the last few months of his life and um, when he was on hospice. My father and I were always the type A in our family, um, very regimented, and uh, I was, we were both the early risers. And how the whole Pancakes Roger started is when he had a feeding tube, he was also on oxygen um, when he was on hospice. And if you dealt with people that are on oxygen, um, if their oxygen levels get too low, they have some confusion. So we kind of had our, our um, schedule worked out where every day at 5 a.m. I'd get up, I'd check on him. If he was good, I'd go to the gym. I'd come back around 6 o'clock, check on him again. If he was good, then I'd go up and shower, come down, help him get his feeding tube formula for the day, and then uh, basically get him in his chair. And I would sit with my laptop at the coffee table for the rest of the day and work. And one morning he beat me to the table after my shower and he was setting the table. And I said, dad, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm setting, setting the table. He said, I'm going to have pancakes for breakfast. And I looked at him and it just broke my heart because my father never once complained for the year he had his feeding tube. He, maybe he would say something smelled good, but he never asked for anything. He just knew that's how it was. And I looked at him and I said, oh, dad, I said, there was, if I could do anything, if I could give you pancakes, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I said, you have a feeding tube and we have a DNR and if you choke, we're done here. And I just don't think we're ready to be done yet. And he looked at me and he said, Oh, Oh yes, I can. Um, he said, Matt said I could, that's my brother. That's a nurse. And my brother wasn't there that morning. So I knew he was having some confusion with the oxygen levels. And so I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I took his, his tube formula to the uh, microwave. He always wanted it heated up for 14 seconds, not 13, not 15, but 14. <laughs> and I heated it up for him and I sat it down on the table and he said, what's that? And I said, that's your syrup. And so after um, my father passed away um, a few weeks later, um, I came back to New York and I took one day off of work. And my husband said to me, he's like, Susan, let's go have some pancakes for your dad. And I've shared the story a lot with people and told people to, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the little things in life and our lives can just change in a blink of an eye and things like having a stack of pancakes that you just always enjoy can be taken away from you. So we have encouraged people to have some pancakes to Roger to remember the little things in life and also to honor his legacy. And um, in the process and since he passed, I've become very much involved in the University of Missouri Veterans Clinic that's run by the University of Missouri Law School that provides free legal services for our veterans navigating the VA claims and appeals process. And it's a wonderful, wonderful um, group of men and women that are they're training these ambassadors all over the country to be attorneys that can be advocates for our veterans. And so we started a campaign called Pancakes for Roger um, that happens every February. Um, since my father's birthday is on 22222. So for every pancake loving picture we get um, on social media using the hashtag, my company makes a donation to the Veterans Clinic. 
And so that's where kind of the, the idea behind the whole Pancake Siraj movement happened. And then um, I've had people that have been asking me to write a book for a while. And I just kind of pushed it aside, pushed it aside because I have plenty of things on my plate. And um, with COVID, things were, I think, at a different place. And I think it was just the right time for me to do this. So the book started out as just a tribute piece to a lot of the mentors I've had my entire life. Um, and I thought my dad was just going to be a chapter. And then he just, he's throughout the entire book. He's, he's the fabric of the, the pages, the words are written, so to speak. And so part of the proceeds are going to go to the Veterans Clinic for the sale of the book. And so that's kind of where the whole Pancake Roger story comes from. So. Well, I have to tell you, I was so in, inspired myself when I just, just the opening um, story of dad wanting pancakes and you know, a lot of people, when they reach, you know, they're coming up on the end of their lives, it seems like they, they kind of go back to the things that are comfort for them as well. And, you know, you hear stories about, you know, the mom or the dad saying, well, I, I just like to have pancakes or I just like to have a Dr. Pepper or I just want whatever it happens to be. And I think the way that you captured that was, was really beautiful. And it kind of inspired me. And unfortunately, I did not get the book in time to <laughs> to read it. But it's supposed to be here in the next day or so. <laughs> and uh, so can you tell me about some of the, the uh, lessons, I guess, it would be that, that you learned and that you talk about in the book? The book is entitled um, also as Pancakes for Roger, correct? Yep. So it's Pancakes for Roger, A Mentorship Guide for Slaying Dragons is the full, full title of the book. <laughs> So uh, my, my father was definitely my, the first mentor I ever had in my life and continued to be. So um, in addition to his military career, he was also a, a, a judge in the civilian world. So I work um, a lot as an expert witness. So he used to work with me on a, just giving some advice on depositions and trials and things like that. And so one of his biggest lessons that he um, told us, and I, I mean, I think I have two older brothers, and I think one of us probably says it every single week is it's important for you to be understood, but it's more important for you not to be misunderstood. And so that was something that he taught us early on. Um, you know, you can use big words and jargon and, and just make people feel like they're out of their, you know, out of their element, and it's better to make people feel more included. And also, too, I mean, if you if you use more layman's terms, then you know that you're going to get your point across. So mm -hmm. something that I use in my daily life. Um, so that's one of the big lessons that I've gotten from him. And then I think one of my favorite lessons is drive the car. So if um, I know that you probably have several people from the Midwest um, or rural communities that we were all driving at a much younger age than probably city folks and, uh, you know, when you grow up around a farm, you're always, you guys are always driving. We're always driving. And so, but I remember when my dad started teaching me highway driving, he always just used to say to us and my brother's suit, drive the car, drive the car. He said, you can be the best driver in the world, but you have to worry about the other people around you. So you just have to make sure to drive the car. I mean, he jerked the steering wheel. You go off the road. You have to remember, drive the car, drive the car. And so that's been something that I've always remembered. It just, a lot of times it's going back to basics and keeping things simple. So a lot of times, you know, we can get overwhelmed. We can look at our to-do list and it's a mile long and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get it all done. You just have to remember to just drive the car. Just break things down into bite-sized chunks and then you can get through the day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so we can get this book where? So it's on Amazon. Um, so you can pick it up on Amazon. Um, 
there's you can get the Kindle version, the hardback, or the softback. Um, Ingram Spark is also going to have it, Book Baby, um, but Amazon is probably going to be your, your best way to find it. Um, and we also have our website, pancakesroger.com, that you can link directly to the Amazon website to purchase it that way as well. I know I did that. Um, <laughs> the other, I, I, I did want to talk a little bit about the, um, and, and Erica is still listening in here, um, about how you're, how the um, University of Missouri Law School has set up their program. And it sounds very similar to some of the things that I have heard from different states. Could you, could you address that a little bit about what they're doing there? Sure. Um, so with the Veterans Clinic, it was started by a woman named Angela Drake. Um, that her father was also a veteran. And, um, and she just has always been passionate about veterans' causes. And um, she's got a very, very big heart. Very big heart. And so the University of Missouri in Syracuse actually are kind of known for having the largest veterans' clinics. Um, and they, they do. I mean, but I'll tell you, there's, they have them all over the country. So if you're trying to think about how to get involved, um, check out your local university and see if they have a veterans clinic. Uh, because a lot of times what they'll do is, like I said, train ambassadors. So they'll have classes and they're teaching attorneys how the, the VA claim system works. I mean, I remember my father had a paid, paid VA claim and it took three years to get it accomplished. My dad was a general. He was also a judge. And so I remember after he passed away, we were sitting at the table, my family and I and the, and the uh, people from the clinic and the dean of the law school and I said, can you believe it took him three years for his claim to get paid? And they were shocked that it took three years because they said on the VU website, it'll, it puts on there, it takes on average seven years. Oh, I was going to say, I thought three years was would be great. Yeah. Well, one out of 14 of our veterans pass away during the claims process too. And that's just unexcusable. I mean, in my, my opinion. So, I mean, the work that they're doing, I mean, a lot of the people listening, <laughs> I'll tell you, my eyes got really open when um, when my father passed away and I was dealing with the VA. Um, I remember I logged 14 hours in one week on the phone dealing with the VA and Arlington and pensions and learning about things and, you know, try care for life for my mother. And um, there's just the list goes on and on. And a lot of times you don't even know where to start, especially if it's, um, say, it's a veteran that's that's ill and you have civilians that are trying to step in and it, it can be impossible. Just with a jar, you know, God bless you if you know where the DD2 is, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, know where my... And where it is. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, those are the things that it's just like you need to have access to and you need to have resources. So the one thing, if I'm not anything, is I'm a miniature Roger Combs and pretty tenacious and I'm good about finding the answer if I need to and getting to the right people. Um, but... And that's what's wonderful about the veterans community, because I had a lot of um, men and women that really stepped in and helped me and told me who to call, told me where to go, gave me the advice. I mean, gave me advice of when we knew my father was going to pass, you know, George White, who's a a retired general, too, that worked with my father for years, said, Susan, make sure that you get Agent Orange-related throat cancer on his death certificate. You know, I mean, so it was things like that that I just never would have thought about if I didn't have people that were kind of mentoring me and guiding along the way. So the Veterans Clinic, you don't have to be a University of Missouri alumni to get help from that. You just have to hear about it and get there. So, you know, you can go onto the University of Missouri website, go onto the law school, and then there's um, there's some information 
right to the veterans clinic that you can reach out to them. You can explain your situation. Um, and sometimes you just need some advice and need to know where to go and they can point you in the right direction. But if there's a, a case that they feel like they can really make a, a good impact on and really um, get some you know, back payments and some, you know, forward um, benefits for the veterans, they'll, they'll do their damnedest to do so. No, I, I can see uh, Eric is shaking his head. Yes. <laughs> as, as it, you know, as what veterans do is, you know, we, we, I always tell people, you know, we had your back when you were in a service and we like to say we have your back now. And we want to make sure that, that every veteran gets whatever they are entitled to. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, the, you guys uh, gave everything. I mean, so, so many gave everything and, it, and, and you guys are entitled to it. I mean, it, as a, as a child, it could be very upsetting um, just because, you know, they gave everything. And it's just, it's not right. So it sounds like similar to a program they've got at Michigan where they do the, the legal, the, the veteran law clinic. Um, so it sounds like a wonderful resource. Yeah. Appreciate you doing that. Yeah, and Eric does a whole lot of things with uh, veteran studies uh, programs around the country where evidently wasn't one, was it, I couldn't remember if one of your schools was in Missouri or not. Was it in Kentucky that are offering uh, veteran studies uh, degree programs? St. Louis, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're oh, popping cool. up all around, but yeah. Well, and one thing I will say just, um, you know, for any veterans out there that are thinking about they want to go to law school, um, we actually have a, a scholarship in my father's name um, at the University of Missouri for veterans that want to go to law school because that's exactly who my dad was. And my, um, my father was um, getting ready to be drafted for Vietnam. He's close to graduating college. And so he got a, you know, short-term deferment. So he graduated uh, undergrad and then he had started one semester of law school and then he went over to Vietnam and then he, after he came back and he was in DC for a while, um, met my mother who said she wasn't going to be her career military wife, but he kind of pulled the bull over her eyes on that one. <laughs> and then he always said, well, I'm going to go back to law school. So I remember my father telling me that he had a, a hair piece he would wear when he registered for classes because he said military crew cut was not a friendly place to be at a university. So it was very important for us to help leave a legacy that way for veterans that either they're active duty, maybe their guard status, or maybe they've gotten out of active duty and they want to go to law school. So any veterans out there that are wanting to go to law school and they're, you know, would like to consider the University of Missouri, that's my alma mater too. Um, I would strongly encourage you to check that out too. Okay. I think, I think that's terrific. So let's, let's go back and talk about the pancakes for Roger. And because I, on your website, the pancakes for Roger, you've got a map. Yes. On there of the country and the world of where people on the 22nd, right, are going to be eating pancakes. So, okay. So what the map is, so the, the entire month of February, we do the pancakes for Roger campaign. So we've tried to fill out the map. So last year we had all 50 states and we got 15 countries. And then I think we had 456 pancake pictures. Um, and this year we're at, I, I looked at it before I, I came on, we are missing one state. I need South Dakota. I need somebody in South Dakota to have a freaking pancake for me right now. And then we have the map locked in. Um, so we, we have 49 states and Washington, D.C., and we have 10 countries right now. So anybody listening that's deployed, I will say that we're being looser a little bit with pancakes because... I had a, a friend that said, Susan, I think about your father and think that he was a combat veteran and he, you know, he gave his life for this country and he struggled with cancer, but I just hate pancakes. And I said, well, 
do you like scallion pancakes? Do you like potato pancakes? Do you like kimchi pancakes? Uh, you know, waffles or pancakes with abs. We can be crazy <laughs> here. So um, I will say um, I have some friends that are gluten-free, so they're going with egg pancakes. Somebody told me the other day that bologna is just a hot dog pancake too. So, you know, maybe you can get your five-year-olds involved too. But That's yeah, true. so, but you know what, the more, the more pancakes, the merrier. So like I said, we have, we have basically a week left. Um, so until the 28th, we just want to see all those pancake pictures come in. They can put it on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, um, on Instagram, just make sure to, to use the hashtag pancakes for Roger. So they come up on our feed. And I will say that if you have private settings, we won't see them. So you can always uh, direct message um, our social media accounts as well. Okay. Well, I think it's great. And th- Susan, it's such a pleasure to meet you and get to, and to talk to you today Thank you. and to find out about these uh, <laughs> pancakes for Roger. <laughs> and I will definitely have real pancakes and I have to take a picture myself and send I that. I appreciate in. that. All right. That. So thank you very much. Uh, Susan Combs, the, the book is Pancakes for Roger and you can find it on Amazon and you can find out all kinds of information. Just go to Pancakes for Roger. I'll bet you it all pops up there on Google and uh, you'll have a great time. So, th- again, thank you very much, Susan. I look forward to talking to you more, and especially after I get the book. Thank you for having me. Okay. All right. Uh, so we are going to um, go to an interview now that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago with – hold on, i got to write my notes here. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, NVBDC is uh, one of our major sponsors of the program, and that's the uh, Natural Veterans Oh, I got to find that again because I always mess up their acronym here. All right, so that's National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC. And as part of their sponsorship, we highlight a member of their organization every month. And the idea here is uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Bill Nelson. And Bill is a, a Vietnam combat veteran, and he served with the 101st Airborne Division. He is current chairman and CEO of 11 Bravo Enterprise. For all you infantry out there, you probably know what that is. And he was a former chairman and CEO of HBO. This is a very successful veteran. I'm really excited to hear this interview. This was done by uh, Jim Falcone uh, last week. And so we're going to play that right now. And uh, we will be back at the end of the interview. So, Derek, go. Welcome. Uh, I am Jim Fossone, and this is Veterans Radio's Spotlight on National Veteran Business Development Council, our monthly spotlight with NVBDC.org. Veterans Radio America is a, has a partnership with NVBDC, uh, which is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses of really all sizes. It's a 501c3 nonprofit established in 2013. It addresses the growing need to identify and certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses in the government and commercial or corporate marketplace. NVBDC administers a rigorous certification process designed to withstand the scrutiny of governmental and corporate entities seeking to utilize certified SD and VOBDs. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today uh, Bill Nelson, who is on the NVBDC Advisory Board. Bill, welcome to Veterans Radio. Jim, thank you so much for inviting me to your show. It's a true uh, pleasure to join you and your audience. Well, we always like to get different perspectives on things relative to 
veteran-owned businesses and certifications. And let me start by uh, pointing out that uh, Bill served his Uncle Sam in the U.S. Army and spent a, a little vacation time in Vietnam. We'll talk about that a little later. But he came back and uh, uh, picked up his BBA degree in accounting and finance and an MBA as well. He went on to uh, work at uh, uh, Time, Inc. and uh, ultimately at Home Box Office, Inc., or HBO as we all know it, uh, becoming the HBO uh, chief executive officer, CEO, and, and retiring there after a long stint in um, September of 2012. But, Bill, we're going to talk initially about the National Veteran Business Development Council and your involvement on its advisory board, how you got involved, what your involvement entails, that sort of thing. What, uh, how, what can you tell us? Yeah, well, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the National Veterans Business Development Council is a rigorous, incredible third-party uh, VOB certifying entity that, uh, you know, meets the very difficult and demanding corporate standards. So um, I met uh, Keith King, who is the founder and CEO of uh, the NVBDC. It received its IRS status in 2014. But I knew Keith uh, way before then. Uh, he was an officer at uh, Vietnam Veterans of uh, of America, and uh, I used to go out to the national conventions while I was with HBO. And, uh, you know, we used to showcase some of our, our shows about uh, the military and also hand out some of the DVDs uh, to everyone present. And uh, we became uh, really close friends and, uh, you know, both Vietnam vets and uh, VVA members. So... You know, Keith approached me and basically told me of, uh, you know, what his idea was. And uh, I thought, wow, that's, that's uh, you know, that's an important thing to have uh, VOBs be certified so that corporations looking to use them can, uh, can, can easily reach out and, and do business with them. So, uh, you know, I was really happy through Keith to, to get involved with, with the NVBDC. Well, as somebody who sat at the top of a very large public company, was it your experience that other similarly situated CEOs were also looking for, hey, I'd like to get more veteran businesses involved, but I want to make sure that they're legit? Yeah, look, I think that's the correct uh, way to phrase it is that – Many corporations, uh, y- y- you know, had a sense that uh, veterans returning from uh, service, no matter where or when, uh, basically needed to find uh, a transitioning into civilian employment. And uh, there are great qualities, obviously, that you pick up in the service and great skills. And I think that uh, a lot of those uh, managers of those of those uh, civilian businesses said, hey, you know, let me let me reach out to these VOBs and, uh, you know, see what they have to offer. And uh, clearly one of, one of the main things that they want to make sure of is, is, is that it is uh, run by a, uh, a eligible veteran, so to speak. And not only does it, is, is it owned by an eligible veteran, but also that it is, it is actually operated by that veteran because, you know, they, there, there were cases where, you know, some entities said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to hire a veteran as, as kind of a, a face forward for this corporation who has no 
input or management skills and, and, and trying to hold myself out as a VOB. And I think many corporations found that and were extremely disappointed. So they, they certainly desired to make sure that uh, if they were going to engage with a VOB, that uh, it, it, it was, in fact, just that. Well, I think one of the things that you probably experienced uh, in that private sector work that you, you did so successfully is that most corporations, want, while they want to help veterans, they have no uh, real way to screen or understand whether or not this is uh, an, an appropriate veteran-owned and operated organization. And that's really what NVBDC does. It, it comes in and applies a pretty rigorous uh, analysis. As you've seen this in action, do you feel it meets the needs of the business and corporate community? Yeah, I mean, we, we have been told so by, by, uh, you, you know, major corporations who, who were looking to use VOBs and, uh, you know, you, you know, the National Veterans Business Development Council, uh, uh, basically is the, as you said, the leading VOB certifying entity and the only one accepted by the billion dollar roundtable members. And, and, uh, that, that, that's a, uh, a group of uh, corporations whose market cap is in excess of a billion dollars who are focused on supplier diversity, including VOBs. And, and they, you know, they include AT&T and Apple and Avis and Bank of America and IBM and CVS and Ford. And I could just keep going on. It's a big list. And they, they basically are the ones who said, look, you know, we want to hire VOBs, but we want to make sure that, they are, in fact, what they say they are. And so when the National Veterans Business Development Council, you know, Keith's idea, he, he birthed that and uh, staffed it with a very powerful staff, uh, you, you know, stepped forward, um, they, they ran to it. I mean, Keith has, uh, through the National Veterans Business Development Council, over 100 uh, plus major corporate members who are, who are, quote, partners that represent, I think, Something like two billion dollars in uh, in supplier diversity contracts. So this is this is really big business, and and it's very important, uh, you know, for those VOBs. And and I think the National Veterans Business Development Council is doing just a wonderful service. We're talking to Bill Nelson, who's a media executive and Vietnam veteran, and uh, advisory board member for NVBDC.org. And we're talking about the importance of being certified from the corporate end of it. But I think you alluded to it, Bill. It also creates opportunity for the business, doesn't it? Yes, look, it, it creates opportunity on both sides. It creates opportunity for the VOB in that uh, whatever their skill set is and uh, whatever the corporation is looking for, uh, that's one of the things that the National uh, Veterans Business Development Council does as well, besides uh, certifying, is it actually does a uh, hosting and networking with the corporate partners who are looking to hire VOBs and certainly VOBs who are looking to be, to be uh, used. And so, you, you, you know, it, it, it's a benefit on both sides. And I think it actually raises the the output of not only the VOB but of the of the uh, of the employing corporation as well. Uh, look, we all learn from those who we deal with, and uh, 
Uh, I think that the skills that are learned through the military and, and the technology that you're capable of doing uh, really empowers those VOBs. And I think in certain cases above just normal civilian suppliers. So it, it, in those cases, not, not only is the VOB su- successful, but the employing corporation is learning things that they might not uh, otherwise learn. So, so it's, it's really a plus-plus on both sides. Okay, that was Jim Falson, uh interviewing, doing our uh, NVBD uh, business interview for the month. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Eric Fretz for being on our program today and uh, Susan Combs. It was great having them both on. I want to encourage you to turn in next week. It's our, going to be our monthly benefits program. So if you have any questions about benefits for us, tune in next week at the same time, and we will answer those questions for you on the air. Send me an email, a text, whatever it takes and we will find out the answer. So until next week, this is Dale Thronberry for Veterans Radio, and you are dismissed.